You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. The reputation of Christian ministry uh, has fallen on hard times in, in recent years. Uh, cr- people are increasingly suspicious about Christian ministry these days, and, and rightly so, uh, because there have been just story after story, major stories about spiritual leaders abusing their power or profiting off their ministries or pretending to be something that they're not. In just, in just the past couple of years, we've seen well-known pastors and ministry leaders charged with sexual misconduct, sexually predatory behavior. We've seen financial corruption within churches and other ministry organizations. We've seen pastors profiting off the gospel and then flaunting their riches with their lifestyles. For example, there's an Instagram account called Preachers and Sneakers. Have you seen this? I just saw it for the first time this week. It's, it's photos of famous pastors preaching in sneakers, but they're like $900 or $1,200 sneakers or in like $1,500 t-shirts. I did not know that, that such a thing existed, but apparently it does. Uh, I've, I've been on a lesser known Instagram account called Preachers and Sperry's. Uh, and I, I don't know if you've, it's, it's a less followed account, uh, but uh, it's, it's pretty popular. A recent podcast that I've been listening to tells about a famous pastor who over years bullied leaders in his church. There's audio of him on the podcast, training a group of church planters. And this is what he says in this training session. He's talking to them about what to do when somebody in your church is not in step with the vision of your church. And this is what he says. He says, too many pastors waste too much time trying to move stiff-necked, obstinate people. And he says, I am all about blessed subtraction. There's a pile of dead bodies behind our church bus, and by God's grace, it'll be a mountain by the time we're done. You either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. Those are the options. Now, he said that the day after he had just fired two of his elders in between church services because in his mind, they were off mission. So he said, they're off the bus. He actually said they're under the bus. And I thought, is that a way, is that any way to talk about Christian ministry? Like get on the bus or get run over by it? And I thought, it's no wonder so many people are suspicious of the church today, wounded by the church. Like there are so many stories of spiritual leaders grabbing for power, grabbing for profit or pretending that they're something that they're not. It's discouraging. Now, this problem, though, is not unique to our day. There were religious charlatans in Paul's day. There were abusive spiritual leaders. There were insincere pastors in Paul's day. And it raised the question, what does genuine Christian ministry look like? 
Paul had helped to plant the church in Thessalonica, but he had to leave town pretty shortly after he helped plant the church because his life was in real danger. And you can read about this in Acts chapter 17. But because he left so quickly, his detractors came along and said, see, see, he was just like one of these traveling preachers. He was just in it for the money or the fame or the power. He doesn't really care about y'all Thessalonians. See, he's already bailed on you. His ministry wasn't genuine. So in this section of Paul's letter to the the Thessalonians, I'm gonna really struggle saying Thessalonians in this series. I have a hard time with it. Uh, He defends his ministry though to them. He, He tells the church that his ministry to them was genuine and he tells them how they can know it. How do we know when Christian ministry is real, when it's genuine? Well, it has a few distinguishing characteristics in which Paul tells us. First, you can distinguish it by its motives, by its motives. Let's look at motives or or, or why we minister. And and by the way, the principles in this passage are, are not just for pastors like me or people in vocational ministry. This is for everyone who's called to minister the gospel to others, which is all of us as Christians, because we've all been entrusted with the gospel and we all minister it in different ways. And so we want to be genuine about it. So what do genuine motives look like? Look at verse one. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse one. Paul says, for you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that are coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict, in the midst of much opposition. This is amazing to me because Paul and Silas, before they came to Thessalonica, were in Philippi. And in Philippi, they were, you know what happened, they were attacked by a mob then they were publicly flogged by the authorities, then they were thrown in prison and put in stocks. It was a terrible time uh, in Philippi, and you'd think they would have just shut it down after that. You'd think they would have been like, well, it was, a good, <laughs> it was good while it lasted, boys, but I'm not up for any more of that. If that's what Christian ministry is, I'm out. Let's take it to the house. But that's not what they did. They, they, instead, they went straight to Thessalonica, to preach the gospel, knowing that they were gonna face the same kind of opposition there, and they did. John Stott says that people will only suffer willingly for what they believe in. Like, you won't suffer on purpose for something you don't believe in. Paul believed the gospel. He was not a phony, right? His motives for ministry were genuine. His actions show that, right? So what were his motives? Well, first he tells us what they were not. Look at verse three. Verse three, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. A a spring is a source, right? It's, It's a point of origin. And so he's saying our ministry is not sourced in any kind of falsehood or any any attempt to trick y'all. Our our ministry is not sourced in any impure motives whatsoever. And as you look closely at this passage, you begin to see that several things here that Paul was not motivated by. Paul was not motivated by power or influence, meaning he wasn't trying to gain a following. 
He wasn't trying to get people to like him. Look at verse five. He says, for we never came with words of flattery. We weren't buttering you up verbally to make you like us. We weren't using deceptive words so that we would have influence over you. But he also says, I didn't pull rank on you as a display of my power. I wasn't throwing my ministerial weight around using my title against you. Look at the end of verse six. He says, though we could have made demands on you as apostles of Christ, meaning I'm an apostle of Jesus, appointed by Jesus himself as your leader. I could have made demands on you, but I did not use my title to my own advantage. He wasn't motivated by power or influence. He also wasn't motivated by profit or financial gain. Look at verse five again. He says, we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. A, a pretext is when you give a false reason to cover up your real reason for doing something. And Paul is saying, I didn't use my ministerial position as a pretext, like as a mask or a covering to cover up my real motive, which was to get rich. I wasn't like, oh, I'm just a humble servant. I'm just a humble apostle. So I'm just ministering to y'all when my real motive was, I just want your money, right? So I can buy some $1,200 sneakers. That's not his motive. Paul was not motivated by power or by money. And finally, he wasn't motivated by glory. Verse six, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. We, in other words, we weren't trying to build a platform. We weren't trying to be famous. We weren't looking for the spotlight. We weren't looking for book deals. We weren't looking for a pat on the back. We weren't motivated by any kind of glory at all. So Paul's motives for ministry were not self-centered in any way. He wasn't trying to gain power or money or glory. So what did he want? Like, what is the motive of genuine Christian ministry? We see it there in verse four. Look at verse four. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. There's the motive. Paul's motive is to please God. He's not trying to be a people pleaser. He's trying to be a God pleaser, not a people pleaser, a God pleaser. That's his motive. Now listen, you can do all sorts of things in ministry that are pleasing to people that are bad for people. All kinds of things. Like flattery sometimes is pleasing to people, but it's bad for them. False doctrine is often pleasing to people, but it's bad for them. Ignoring their sin or not talking about their sin can be pleasing to people, but it's bad for them. But listen, you can't please God in ministry when you're doing things that are bad for people. God is not pleased by that. God is not pleased when people are harmed or deceived or misled or uncared for or uncorrected in their sin. He's not pleased by that. You please God by doing what's good for people. Paul's heart motive is to please God, to be a God pleaser. Now, how do you do that? How do you do that when the lure and the pull of people pleasing is so strong 
I know you feel this in your life at times. And if you're ministering to people at all, you'll feel the pull of people pleasing. How do you, how do you please God in light of that? Well, I think the structure of verse four is really important in helping us understand how. Look again at verse four. Look how it's laid out. Verse four. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. This is something that has already happened in the past that's still true in the present. We have been approved by God. Now, what was the basis of God's approval of Paul? Was it that Paul was really gifted for ministry? Was it that Paul was really successful in ministry? Is that why God approved of him? No, we know that's not why he approved of him. The basis of his approval of Paul was the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Paul was in Christ. Christ was in Paul. And so he was fully approved by God. God was already pleased with Paul simply because he was a child of God through faith in Christ. Now, go back to verse four. But just as we have been approved by God in the past to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak now in the present. Just as we have been approved, so we speak now as those approved. Not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. So our standing with God, secured for us in the past, determines our present motive for, for ministry. It shapes how we speak now. We already have the full approval of God, so now we speak and minister in light of that. We already have the full approval of heaven, so we don't need the approval of the crowds. Like, we're not trying to gain anything by ministering to people. We're not trying to get anything out of people. We don't minister to please people, but to please the only one who can actually see into our hearts, which is God himself. And he's already pleased with us in Christ. And I want you to hear this because I want you to know that your justification in Christ, that you're justified and approved in Christ, frees you up to minister to the glory of God and for the good of people because you don't have anything to prove. You're not trying to prove yourself. You're already approved. The motive behind genuine Christian ministry is to please God. Now, there's a second thing that distinguishes genuine ministry, and that is its methods. Its methods. And when I say methods, I mean the how of ministry. We, we've talked about the why of ministry. Let's look at the how of ministry. And Paul gives two images to help us understand the methods of ministry. He, he says we minister like a mother and we minister like a father. So let's first look at the mother. Specifically, he says a nursing mother. Look at verse seven. He says, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. What a beautiful and tender image of what ministry should look like. A nursing mom. I have personally witnessed this with three children in my life. And I've got to say, it's one of the most loving, one of the most self-giving things that I have ever witnessed. And you might say, well, yeah, I know moms are self-giving, but dads are self-giving too. No, not in that way. I have never had food literally come out of me to nourish my children, right? 
I've never had a hungry person literally, literally latch on to me. There are ways as a dad that I have never given of myself, which is what makes this such a powerful image that he would choose a nursing mom to talk about what ministry looks like. He says a nursing mom is gentle and she's selfless. You see gentleness there in verse seven. We were gentle among you. Gentleness means she's in touch with the needs of her child. She's understanding. She's compassionate. Gentleness means she's patient with her child. She takes her time. Gentleness enables her to bond with that child, to have a real personal connection. Gentleness is the opposite of harshness, of brashness, of arrogance, of callousness. But she's also selfless, which you see there in verse eight. Look at verse eight. Paul says, we were not ready, or we were ready not only to share the gospel with you, but also to share our own selves, our own lives with you. A nursing mom is selfless. She's not protecting her own personal space. Actually, someone is all up in her personal space almost all the time. She's not protecting her personal schedule. She's up at 3 a.m. feeding someone else. No one chooses that for their personal schedule. Bottom line, a nursing mom shares her very life. She gives herself away. And love is what motivates that. Do you see those two phrases that are bookends, the bookends of verse eight? The beginning of verse eight, the end of verse eight. They express Paul's love uh, for his people. Paul says, we were affectionately desirous of you, meaning we longed for you in love. And then at the end of the verse, he says, you had become very dear to us. That word dear means beloved. It's the same word God the Father used to describe Jesus at his baptism. Remember what the Father said at the baptism of Jesus? He said, this is my beloved son. This is my dear son. That's how Paul feels about the people, right? He, he, he loves them like a, a mom would love her children. Genuine Christian ministry is done with gentleness and the selfless love of a nursing mother. And here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. This is a call for all of us. It's not just a call for the women in the church. It's a call for the men of the church. All of us are called uh, to minister in gentleness, in selflessness. All of us are called to share our very lives with others, like a nursing mother. So guys, you are called to minister like a nursing mother. And you're like, what? I don't even, I don't know what that is. Well, it's gentleness and it's selflessness. We're all called to minister that way. But Paul uses another image to describe Christian ministry. He says it's like a father. Look at verse 11. It's like a father. Verse 11, for you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So this is a call to minister with our words, right? He says, I exhorted you, we encouraged you, we charged you like a father. Paul is not saying that mothers don't verbally exhort, encourage, and instruct their children, just like he wasn't saying that fathers aren't called to be gentle and self-giving. 
But, but he uses the image of a father here because I think there's something powerful about a dad coming alongside his kids and speaking words of life into them. I remember years ago, my oldest daughter, Lauren, uh, played on a soccer team called the Texas Thunder. And uh, the Texas Thunder stayed together for several years. We knew all the families and they were really good. Uh, in fact, one season, I think it's when they were 10-year-olds, uh, they had an undefeated season. And, and at the end of that season, they were playing in the end of the year tournament and they were playing against another really, really, really good team. And it was tied up and it was getting towards the end of the game and it was so tense on the sideline. And right towards the end of the game, the other team scored a goal to go up by one goal. And our team was frantically trying to score before the time ran out, but then the whistle blew and we lost. And I remember this so explicitly. Every one of our girls just stood where they were on the field. They were so stunned. Some of them were crying because they had not lost a game that year. They didn't know what it felt like uh, to lose. And I also remember this, in a flash, every single dad on the team was on the field, kneeling next to his daughter, speaking words of encouragement and comfort and hugging uh, their daughter. I remember hearing a mom on the sideline yell, look at all these dads. It was amazing. Listen, we didn't need a script for that. We knew exactly what to do. We got to be on that field, right? It was pretty cool. That's what Paul says genuine Christian ministry looks like. It looks like the encouragement, the exhortation, and sometimes the correction of a father. And notice in verse 12, Paul says he exhorted the Thessalonians to something very specific. Look at verse 12. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. In other words, we exhorted you to live like Christians. We, we charged you to live into your calling as kingdom citizens. See, God loves us as we are, but he doesn't leave us as we are. He's conforming us to the image of his son. He's changing us. He's transforming us, which means we need others ministering to us by encouraging us with truth, exhorting us with truth, charging us to walk in truth. And so genuine Christian ministry in its methods combines gentleness, like a nursing mother, and truth-telling, like a father, combines them. It combines sharing our very life, giving ourselves away with sharing the word of truth. It combines them. They go together. We need both of these things if we're going to genuinely minister to one another. And most of us have a natural bent toward one of them over the other. Like some of us are more naturally truth tellers. We're teachers. We just want to give them the content, tell them what they need to know, and let God do his work. Some of us are, are more natural at gently comforting people, serving them. We want to be with them. We want to, we want to share our time. We want to share our resources to serve uh, and, and to meet needs, right? But genuine Christian ministry is both. It's both. A Bible study leader who excels at teaching the Bible, teaching the scriptures, but then is harsh 
or aloof or, or doesn't share about her own life, she begins to lose credibility with people. And eventually her words lose influence no matter how biblically true they are. A discipleship group that gets together all the time and spends time together and shares life and shares the struggles with sin, but never confronts one another with the word of God and never calls one another to holiness is not really a discipleship group. It's just a group of buddies hanging out. Nothing wrong with that. I love hanging out with my buddies, but don't call it a discipleship group. If we never open the truth to one another and call each other into truth. We've got to share our lives and share the truth. That's what Christian ministry is because that's what Christ-like ministry is. Think about Jesus. He's gentle, he's selfless, he gives himself away, he doesn't hold anything back, but he also tells the truth, he confronts sin, he calls people to repent and believe the gospel, he loves people enough not to leave them where they are. So as the church, we together are the body of Christ. We minister together and he gifts each of us in different ways so that we might minister together as Christ does. It's great. You can distinguish genuine Christian ministry by its motives, which is pleasing God, by its methods, which is sharing our lives and sharing the truth. And finally, you can distinguish it by its message. And I'll just mention this briefly in closing in verse 13. You can distinguish it by its message. In, order, in other words, the what of ministry. We've talked about why we minister, how we minister. This is the what of ministry, and it's in verse 13. Look at it. Verse 13, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. Uh, genuine Christian ministry is, is centered on the word of God. In other words, uh, ministry uh, is not about airing our own opinions. It, it's not about getting on our soapboxes. It's not about doing cultural commentary. It's not about giving good advice. Uh, ministry is about bringing God's word to bear on any in, in every situation because his word is the only thing that has the power to heal us, to redeem us, to convict us, to enlighten us to change us. That means that the scriptures should be central to everything we do as a church, right? Like you come here on Sundays and you hear the Bible read, you hear the Bible preached. Uh, the Bible is woven through every aspect from beginning to end of our worship service. But in the same way, the Bible should be opened and read and talked about in all of our GC gatherings. In any kind of D group setting, the Bible should be opened and read and talked about. If you are comforting someone or counseling with someone, bring the scriptures to them. Imagine how much more powerful God's words are than what you can bring on your own. There's two things about the Thessalonians here in verse 13 that we want to be true of us as a church. First, they accepted what Paul preached to them as the word of God, not just human words. And we wanna be like that. We wanna be a people who, who, who say, that this Bible is God's word. It's authoritative in our life. In other words, we bring our lives under it, right? We may not always understand what it says. We may not always agree with what it says, but we wanna be a people that are committed to say, we're gonna, we're gonna tr seek to understand it together in community and together with all of church history 
because we, we don't throw that out and, and say, we're going to try to figure it out in, in a new way. We, we, we want to figure it out. But we also say the Bible might disagree with us because guess what? God disagrees with us sometimes. And we want to, we want to look at the tension points together. The second thing about the, the Thessalonians here in verse 13 is that the word of God was at work in them. It was at work in their lives. It was changing them and renewing them. And we want to be a people like that, that receives God's word and allows it to go to work in us, conforming us to the image of Jesus. May that be true of us as we minister to one another. May it be, that be true of us as we minister, not just our opinions, not just our advice, but the very gospel of God, the good news of God. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.